Hello and welcome to Talking Aussie Books, a weekly podcast bringing readers and writers of Australian fiction together. I'm Claudine Tanellis. As an avid reader and passionate advocate for Australian fiction, I make it my mission to spotlight local talent. So if you're looking for your next read or simply want to learn more about the Australian literary scene, this podcast is for you. Grab yourself a cuppa, sit back and relax. Listeners, I love a good rom-com, a tale that finds its way into your heart, where you find yourself cheering on the protagonist, hoping that love will eventually conquer all. These are my go-to comfort reads, stories that fill my heart with joy and make me feel hopeful about the world. So, finding a new voice and refreshing take on the rom-com genre is always a happy occurrence. Into Kimberly Alsop and her debut novel, Love and Other Puzzles, published by HarperCollins Australia earlier this year. A fantastically original story that made me fizz with laughter. Witty, warm and clever, I was hooked from start to finish. And Kimberly joins me on the podcast this morning to talk all things love and puzzles. Welcome, Kimberly. Thanks so much for having me. I'm a big fan of this podcast, so I... <laughs> See, it is a big honour. Thank you. Oh, that's a lovely thing to say. Thank you so much, Kimberly, And congratulations on the publication of your debut novel. Thank you. It's very surreal (laughs) because I work in books. So I'm very used to the publication of other people's books, less so my own and having to talk about them. So yeah, it's been a very kind of, it's been a weird time. I think we were in lockdown as well when it came out. So I got sent cartons of beer and lovely messages from the team where I work, which was lovely. Um, but then it was just kind of like done. So it's, it's, it's a very weird but very exciting thing to have happened. Indeed. Now, it's been, it's been out for a while now. So I wanted to ask you, how are you feeling about its reception? And do you still pinch yourself when you see it out there in the world? In fact, I saw it on a big W shelf last night or Kmart shelf last night in um, Chatswood. I get tagged in a lot of lovely reviews, especially by bookstagrammers. And they are such an amazing community, of which I was part of before this book had come out and partly because of my role as a publicist in book publishing. So I send them books all the time, as well as obviously loving books. So kind of posting about books myself and everything. And it's it's been very nice being tagged. I keep feeling like people are doing me a favor by reading the book, because I guess a lot of the times people are doing me favors by reading books that I send out to them, which are normally somebody else's. So when someone says something nice about it, I always am just, thank you. Thank you so much. But I don't entirely believe them. <laughs> so it's, um, <laughs> but it's been lovely seeing it. And I've gotten some really beautiful DMs from people where they've gone, this book came, you know, at the right time in my life. And when Rory, who's the protagonist in it, was kind of working out that just because you're good at a job or you can keep doing it doesn't mean that you should stay in that job and you shouldn't look for other things and you shouldn't be open to new opportunities and and trying to find what truly makes you happy. And lots of people have kind of commented on that. And there was one person that was like, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. So then I left that job (laughs) that I was in and I'm like, oh, I didn't mean to like influence people's lives in that way. But those um, messages are always incredibly lovely to see. And obviously from people that I don't know. So I think that I'm guessing they're not doing me a favour. They have paid actual money 
for the book and then liked it enough to contact me. So I'm just, I'm very grateful for all of it. I still see stuff coming through all the time. I think it helps mm. that the cover, um, which was designed by Mark Campbell from the Harper design team is just so beautiful. So yeah. people are very happy to post about it all the time. It's very nice and just harkens back to that surreal experience of having something out in the world. Indeed, I can only imagine. So tell me, Kimberly, how did you come to write Love and Other Puzzles? What was the spark of inspiration that made you want to write Rory's story? I did write one book before, which I had done like a serial for some people I knew at HubCons, which is a publishing house I work at, as well as some other publishing houses and some journo mates. And I had written it like that and I had not plotted it at all and I had done very well to an extent and then things really went off the rails and I thought at least I know now that I can write a book and I had an agent because of a kid's picture book that I had written and she wanted to read it and, and it's Margaret Connolly and she's wonderful and then she came back to me with all this feedback and was like oh I think if you like essentially changed the second half of it which is clearly when I had realized that I didn't know what I was doing anymore oh. and it was based it was set in New York and I just sent the person to Sydney like it was just one of those kind of a version of like and it was all a dream when you just go I don't know what's happening anymore but she liked the voice and all the pros and everything else and it was a rom-com as well and so that had kind of given me hope, but I didn't, it didn't actually interest me enough for me to make time to go back and change that. I thought I'll get to it at some point. And then it must have been not long after COVID became a big thing. And I was doing my New York Times crossword puzzle, which I do every day um, on the app. And it was right before Rodham by Curtis Sittenfeld was about to come out. And I was tossing up whether or not I was going to buy it immediately because I love Curtis Sittenfeld or I was going to wait for a bit because as I'm sure you also have, I have a huge pile of books of which (laughs) I should be reading for work and uh, not homework uh, that I had to do. And then Hillary Clinton was one of the answers in the New York Times crossword puzzle. And I was like, oh, that's it then. I have to go and get it. And that's when I went, imagine if someone based all their decisions on the New York Times crossword puzzle. And I was texting one of my colleagues who was to then become the publisher of this book, but obviously wasn't at the time. And she was like, that's a great idea. And somehow, despite having my daughter in the lounge room at the same time, and I think she was probably maybe two at that time, I wrote the first scene of Rory climbing out the window and I sent that to Catherine my publisher and then she went oh this is great now you have to write the rest and then I just wanted to really I kept wanting to write it and having learned from the first book I plotted it out beforehand (laughs) because everything had to happen within seven days and that took a lot more effort it was easier in my head than what it was once I started mapping things out and working out how you would get substantial character growth across the board in Mm. seven days, but also explaining the weight of the relationships that were going to change in that 
point because I think if you just looked at things as a snapshot like Rory's boyfriend at the time Lucas and they are I would say they're past the peak of their relationship and you might go why are these people together again so then I had to kind of slot in flashbacks and all stuff I hadn't done before but yeah I just really wanted to write it and I think if you're enjoying which you need to do because otherwise it's a lot of work to try and find time to write a book Um, but I think when you're writing something, if you're not enjoying it, I think that's going to speak a lot to how it's going to be read down the line. So I enjoyed it. So I hope that means that people have enjoyed reading it at the same time. There's going to be people out there that haven't read the book like I have. So I wondered if you could explain a little bit more about the story. Sure. Rory is in her 20s and she's living in Sydney with her boyfriend, Lucas, and she is working at kind of a newspaper that's mainly online, but they do a weekly print version, a bit similar to The Guardian, I would Mm -hmm. say. And she's always wanted to be a journalist. She's from Queensland and her grandfather, she mainly grew up with her grandparents. And then she had a single mum who was kind of in and out depending on work. And he was a journo and she always looked up to him. So she just kind of thought, this is what I'm going to do. And so she has been doing that for the last five years and she moved to Sydney for work and things have kind of come to a standstill like she has a laminated to-do list of all these things that she thought was going to happen none of that stuff is happening but she is a big fan of rom-coms and from anyone who has watched I would say even a couple of rom-coms you would realize there tends to be kind of a turning point or a sign that changes the protagonist's like way of thinking or life or or kind of shakes things up a little bit and so she decides that she can't wait for that to come from something else so she will make her sign the New York Times crossword puzzle and she will dictate her life choices for a week based on the answers to that and obviously she sets up rules because she's the kind of person that has rules on everything (laughs) Um, but we then follow her for that week and it kind of it opens in the Saturday and you can see things have kind of gone downhill. So then you're just kind of being caught up to that point. So Rory or Aurora, as her mother calls her, is a wonderful character. She's so vividly portrayed in this book by you, a person who is ruled by her routine and rarely ventures beyond the parameters that she set for herself until, of course, as you say, she realises what everyone is saying about her is true, that she's too rigid and also somewhat somewhat of a passive observer to her own life. So where did Rory come from and was she based on a real person? She's not based on a real person. I don't know really where she came <laughs> from. Uh, I don't know where many of the people have come from in the books. She's probably amalgamation of just everything that I've seen in my life up to this point. She's certainly not me that I can say. I've never had like a list of goals. I couldn't do that. The crossword puzzle, that is me. Um, I'm a huge fan of it. Do it every day. Go into the archives. It's the one app I can justify paying for. I love it dearly. And moving from Brisbane and Queensland to Sydney is, is something that I did for a job as well. So all that stuff is there. But, yeah, I don't really know where she's kind of come from. And that's good. I know that some people, when they're writing, 
have like celebrities or actors in their head of how they envisage that person would be. And I think that kind of helps them to visualize them and kind of flesh them out. And I couldn't do that with any of these characters. I have absolutely no idea. I know some people have compared uh, Lucas, who's her boyfriend in the book, uh, his mum, Patricia, to like Moira Rose. That has kind of come up a bit. I think that's very upsetting for Moira. If you love Shit's Creek, that's not a nice thing to say about her. So it's fun seeing other people come up with that kind of stuff. But no, look, there are, there are certainly incidents in the book that have happened to me. But yeah, it's definitely this. I just have a weird brain that holds on to a lot of stuff. And then it just kind of comes out. Brilliant. I love it. As you mentioned, Rory is at a fork in the road of her life and throws caution to the wind when she decides her next moves will be dictated by the New York Times crossword puzzle. That would be a hard thing for anyone to do, but I think it's especially hard for Rory So how did you know how she was going to react in this situation? How did you get inside her head? I think that there's just breaking points that people reach, whether or not it's a rut and they finally realise that they're actually in a rut or, you know, you have just done the same thing for so long, which I think they say is like the definition of insanity and you expect (laughs) a different result. And then at some point, that person just snaps. And I would say a lot of the time uh, when someone snaps, they don't do the most rational thing. Mm. In this instance, I wouldn't recommend basing all your life decisions off the New York Times crossword puzzle, but it's not the craziest thing anyone's ever done. And she would never be able to do, I don't think, the craziest thing. And then she still puts rules about it. Mm-hmm. But I think she also has a certain level of pride and stubbornness. I can certainly relate to the stubbornness yeah. that once she says she's going to do something, she will stick it out whether it's working or not, which is kind mm-hmm. of how she got herself in this position <laughs> to begin with. So that all kind of felt like something, even though it's a huge deviation for her in character Mm. the parameters of it are still very much her now given how much I love rom-coms and I can tell obviously that you do too uh, I particularly enjoyed the rom-com movie references throughout the novel and the literary food mashup references you gave Lucas's artwork so clever and also there was pop culture sort of like sprinkled throughout the novel as well was that something that you had initially included in the novel or was this something that evolved over time No, it was all initially included in it. Mm. I am slightly terrified about how much pop culture (laughs) (laughs) rom-com is in my head. I I am really bad with things like geography and direction, (laughs) like any kind (laughs) of like orientation thing. I had to Mm. admit a very embarrassing compass fact to someone I was with recently because I was getting us lost. Yeah. Um, And I think that I can't remember, I just have that black hole because everything else is filled up with these pop culture, TV, movie, book references. So they weren't something that was kind of overlapped over the top of things. They've just (laughs) coming out of my brain. I watch a lot of television as well as reading and I do love rom-coms and like Rory 
I grew up on them. So I think they're, they've been incredibly formative and I just retain that kind of stuff. And the food mashups were just such a joy. Probably one of my favourite things to do uh, when writing the book. I wish I could have slotted more of them in. They're yeah. actually harder to come up with than what I <laughs> think they look like. But I had written, I'd started writing another book and I didn't get very far into it and completely different in tone because I also like a lot of like crime and slightly darker literary stuff. And I would say it was more in that tone. And I had a boyfriend in that who was kind of pretentious, who was starting to do those things. And while I didn't continue on writing that kind of past, like the first couple of chapters, I really loved that um, mashup idea so much that I was so excited when this book idea came that I realized I could continue on with it. And I have drawn a doodle of it a Tim Wanton before I think when I did that though I was on like mat leave with a newborn so I would say that I wasn't maybe the sanest or sharpest that I'd ever (laughs) been but I love doing all those things so no they they all just kind of flowed with the book the one thing I was concerned that would have to come over as more of an overlap was that I wanted the crossword stuff to feel very natural in Mm. the book and I was concerned that I would end up writing all of it and then kind of overlaying it on and then trying to make things fit that way and then it would come off very clunky so that was my only concern yeah but thankfully it kind of all slotted into the first draft of things which was Mm. good but I think you can tell So hopefully it doesn't read that way when something's kind of come on as like a a secondary thing because it wasn't the most natural thing to put on the page initially. I will say I probably didn't realise how many rom-com references were in it until other people pointed them out. I think that's just so much of how I think, while I am, and once again I will reiterate this to all my (laughs) employers and (laughs) ex-boyfriends, I am not (laughs) sorry. <laughs> I love it. So, what's your favorite food literary mashup? I mean, you've mentioned Tim Wonton already. I love that one. Is there another favorite? Ah, uh, no, well, he was kind of the original one, um, putting a ponytail on a wonton when I drew mm. it. I just obviously <laughs> the height of comedy. Honestly, I would love to just do a whole book. <laughs> that would be very exhausting. I would love to hear if anyone else has any extra ones, especially that weren't in the book. Because they are hard to do in in an organic way, especially when you're then trying to think of ones that, because Lucas is drawing them as doodles. So they need to work Mm. in a visual sense and and not just when you see it in writing. So there's got to be some kind of ding that happens there. So no, I mean, there's, there's one I did was maybe like Agatha Crispy. There was something to do with Agatha and chicken. And I can't remember now because I've only had one coffee. No, <laughs> so, it is Agatha Crispy. Definitely it is. That's one And I love that. Ones. But that's also because I love Agatha Christie. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. Now, speaking of Lucas, I couldn't help but think that he was incredibly cruel. Do you think that it hadn't been for this level of cruelty, Rory might never have seen that she needed to change? I think there were 
a whole bunch of things that were happening or not happening Mm. in Rory's life that kind of signaled that change had to happen. I almost feel like one of her key motivators more than Lucas and her relationship was her work because she is quite career-driven despite the fact that she's just kind of bubbling along at her job. And if anything, that was should have been more of a signal to her that mm. her relationship with Lucas had stalled and then started kind of like rotting, just been left in the fridge for too long yeah. and it had started going bad. When she cared more about work stuff and was more frustrated by that, then her relationship with Lucas and you can see in flashbacks when that certainly wasn't the case and she Mm. had sacrificed stuff for him in that relationship I didn't intend for him to come off as cruel as what he I think has what I wanted to show and I don't think that this is kind of too much of a spoiler because if we're pointing out that he's cruel and that things are going to change the relationship is obviously not that's not where a lot of the rom is coming from in the <laughs> rom-com. I just also wanted to show you that it's very easy to just be in a relationship with someone and that may have been pushed further because of rent. I think renting is a huge driver in relationships mm-hmm. and leases being up and you can just end up living with someone and stop kind of being in a loving relationship with them And either start just becoming friends or just becoming housemates and living separate lives. And you can do all of that out noticing that that change has occurred because that just happens in life when people are stressed and busy and distracted with things and your conversations end up being more about like milk and mess and then you start just getting frustrated with each other once again I am not Rory for anyone that is my partner or exes though some of them may know who they are Um, where that has happened and no one needs to have done anything wrong for that to happen it's just if you stop putting that time in that's just what happens and so I I wanted to show that relationship because I don't think it's one that's often shown. But then I think something that ends up coming out of those relationships is that sometimes when people are unhappy, they decide to do something that is going to blow up that relationship and hurt that person just almost for like the sake of something happening or feeling something again. And he is doing that. And I think that she can probably see that that is happening and she is choosing to ignore it for Mm. ease for a little bit. I don't think he, I don't even think he meant to be cruel to her. I just think it's a level of thoughtlessness where he's just like, why does it matter if that person and I aren't like in love with each other anymore or I'm not in love with that person anymore? Why would they care when I do this thing? I don't think that they ever, and she's not always the nicest to him either. Mm. I take Rory's side if there were sides to be taken in this. Me too. (laughs) But, yeah, I think they've just, they've grown apart a lot as people and he has maybe grown into someone she she wouldn't have dated in the first place. And they were, their relationship was sped up 
due to Sydney rentals and anyone that lives in Sydney has probably (laughs) felt that before as well. I didn't intend for him to be as cruel and I also didn't want him to necessarily be the instigator because I am a little bit sick of, and I think it's it's happening less less now, but like books and movies where you have a lead that is a female, but really most of the story is her reaction to men around her and being reactive in that way rather than being active and it not being something that a man has done to instigate that. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't want that as part of this, whether it be from Rory's absent father mm-hmm. changing things there or Lucas. I wanted I wanted the women to be making their own decisions. You mentioned it before, but one of the themes that you address in this novel, Kimberly, is the idea that pursuing a career for the wrong reasons is never a good idea. And Rory becomes a journalist because she was good with words and her beloved grandfather was a journalist also, but it wasn't her passion. And everybody but her knew it, didn't they? Yeah, I think that I think people just wanted her to be happy, but I think that everyone can tell, even her colleagues, who she gets along well with mm. and they care about her as well. I think they they realise if you're truly in a job that you love, you are putting a lot more into it and you are trying a lot harder and your passion is more evident than what Rory is showing her job. But I think that everyone thinks that she wants it <laughs> like to a certain extent. So everyone's trying to be like positive and encouraging her it might also be just because she's sacrificed quite a bit for the job I would say on paper but emotionally you know she's not there we see in like this week or much beforehand like she's not really there past like five o'clock and I'm certainly not saying that we need to keep feeding that culture that says you need to be working 12 hours a day and you're not getting Mm. paid for that time, but that's what you should be doing. And I don't think that that's what people should be doing, but I just think if you're incredibly hungry for something and you have started, you know, in an entry-level position, which most of us have, I would say, in our chosen careers, unless you've been very fortunate, then you would probably be putting more time and effort into things than what Rory is in this job. Like she has her job, like doing the TV guy crossword puzzle, big fan of that. Used to do it all the time when I was a kid, fight my mum for that TV guy crossword puzzle. And so she does all that and she does the classifieds, and but she's never really chasing a story. She's just mm. waiting for stuff to come to her. Yeah, And I think especially in like journalism, you can't be waiting for things to kind of, fall on your lap I would say so I think that that's been a big indicator to everyone but at the same time people just want her to be happy and I think it's like when you see a mate in a bad relationship just like people might have seen with Rory and Lucas you can't say to your friend that person is a goose I'm being very polite because You don't want to upset your friend and then you don't want to be blamed later on if they end up, you know, leaving that person and then things don't work out or they end up getting back together with that person. I think that is the same level that Rory is at with her job. People are kind of subtly trying to push her, but she's pretty immovable. (laughs) I would say that she's not terribly self-aware about a lot of the things that she is doing and that part of that might be like a coping mechanism, but You'll never grow if you're like that. And I think that this week kind of helps her see 
who she is. And then once you know who you are, you've got a much better idea of who you would like to be. Kimberly, you mentioned it earlier, but not only are you a novelist, but you also work with HarperCollins Publishers and you and I have previously connected in your role at HarperCollins. How different did you find the experience of being published on the other side of the fence, so to speak? It's been very weird. When the manuscript initially went out, when my agent sent it out, and it went out without a name attached to it. So it went to a couple of different publishers because I didn't, publishing is also quite small, I would say, in Australia. And we didn't want any kind of bias with anything. We just wanted like honest feedback and opinions. That was kind of freeing in a way. But when it went to Harper, we did flag just with the publisher that it was me and I'd sent her the first bit when we were first talking like before or whatever. So she was aware of that. But when it went to our acquisitions meeting, so that's a weekly meeting that we have where all the publishers will bring manuscripts that they would like to acquire and the sales team is there and the marketing and publicity teams are there and everyone kind of buys in on numbers and all that kind of stuff and whether or not we think it would work in the market. It went with a pseudonym on there that Catherine had picked out. We all just wanted honest feedback. But for me, that was terrifying. So I wasn't in that acquisitions meeting, but I knew what was happening. There were people I knew in that meeting and I was just there going like, oh, my God, oh, my God, I don't know what's happening. That was a very tense hour. And then they were told right at the end, once people had thankfully said nice things, uh, who it was, and even after that, they still wanted it. But that was very weird. And then it's obviously like come up in meetings and stuff that I've been in and I will just leave a meeting. I don't want to know about any of that stuff. But I would say that the team has been incredibly supportive. So that has been lovely, as we would be for any of our authors. I just try to separate them. So work is work. And obviously, like, my job is marketing and publicity. And so I'm just promoting other people's books all the time. And that's very easy for me to do, much more natural than talking about my own. <laughs> uh, so I just, I'm like, never the twain shall meet. But now I, ha- I would say I have a new appreciation or understanding for the authors that I work with when they yeah. send through stuff. I'm like, yes, there is a lot of anxiety yeah. once you put this thing out into the world with your name on it and with social media, you can see when people say things. I have taken a lot of my own advice, which has been to never go onto the Goodreads mm-hmm. or look at any of that stuff because it's not yeah. helpful. And a, a horrible comment for some reason will stay with you so much longer than positive things, which is just very annoying. But I certainly got a new understanding and level of compassion for all of this that I work with, with all that kind of stuff but yeah it's very I just really try and keep them separate so I was on tour last week with one of our authors who is wonderful and her book is amazing and we were going into a lot of bookshops and signing copies of her book and one of the bookshops they brought over some copies of love and other puzzles which was very sweet but I was mortified like oh no no that's not why I'm here but they were very sweet and obviously like I signed them but that's to kind of the extent where 
I had been in 30 bookshops or whatever that week and I just never looked for mine. I would mm. never even mention yeah. signing any of that stuff, which might be to my detriment, but it's just kind of how I am able to separate things in my mind. But, yeah, I mean, it's just yeah, I can't have them bleed, even though that's very hard not to do. Yeah. I was going to ask you if you had, if you thought you had greater insight into your role uh, in publicity and marketing now that you've experienced it from the other side. Oh yeah. I mean, I honestly, there's so much anxiety. I hadn't realized how much, (laughs) like (laughs) even with me kind of largely mentally, I would say to kind of protect myself, almost ignoring the fact it was coming out. I'm not saying that I'm a terribly courageous person but I think it takes a fair bit of courage to put something out that you obviously care about and I would presume that most people that have written a book and spent that much time with something really care about what they have there just for other people to judge it it would be easier if we weren't if we didn't have social media I think that then you could kind of ignore something once it was out there Um, but then you wouldn't see all the lovely things that have come I don't think I'd ever thought I had suffered from anxiety before until that moment so now I just I block out the book really from my head though there are other conversations about other parts of it going on and that's all very like exciting stuff that is happening but I'm just like oh I can't even think about it I just need to do it I I guess it kind of helps to be so busy in my job and be talking about other people's books and then having a three-year-old where it's quite easy for me to ignore. Nothing like having young children to bring you back right down to it. Oh, that's right. Nothing. I <laughs> Heaven forbid I feel any way kind of like glamorous or <laughs> like I've succeeded in something yeah. when I'm being yelled at to wipe someone's bum. <laughs> Kimberly, I understand that you're the co-host of a podcast called Meet Cute. Um, now, anyone who's watched The Holiday with Kate Winslet, Cameron Diaz and Jude Law will know a meet cute is a term that refers to the first encounter between a couple destined to become romantically involved. So tell me, what is the podcast all about and what started it all? It is my colleague, Natika Palka, who also works at HarperCollins, and I talking about rom-coms and we break down one. In an ideal world, it would happen every week. There is life. We finished our first season and we've got a couple recorded for season two and we kind of haven't moved past that because of tours and everything else that happens and can't do anything about that. So we just talk about rom-coms but movies and we do a deep dive into them and we get to do a bunch of research, which is a lot of fun, and rewatch movies that I haven't seen in ages and I wish I could see all the time. So it's really a nice way to justify me doing what I would like to do. There is a podcast called Blank Check, which I love and is probably one of the few podcasts I will make time for every week when I'm going for a walk or a run because they go for like two and a half, three hours and they go through a whole director's filmography and the blank check is kind of what they're given once they've had some kind of success. For example, they're doing Sam Raimi right now. And I really love that one and I loved learning about all that extra stuff. So it kind of was, and she loves it too, and she'd introduced me to the podcast. And so we were just talking about all that stuff all the time anyway. And then I was like, well, you know, obviously I've written this rom-com and let's talk about rom-coms and that would be a lot of fun. And it is a lot of fun and we get to have guests on who are fantastic 
and know more stuff than what we do. But I've loved that stuff. I also, I love movies and hearing about how they get made and that whole process. And I'm sure it's actually a lot more boring in real life. When you're looking things up, I think it also feels like things have kind of happened and these magical moments occur and everything clicks into pace when I'm sure like 90% of movies don't get made and a lot of them take years and years Mm. to happen but it's it's a lot of fun going all through that stuff especially when you get to talk about people like Nora Ephron which we have to spread out but Nora is one of my heroes and I love her so much so having any excuse to kind of reread and rewatch stuff that she's been a part of is a great joy fantastic okay so Kimberly you may know that there are many writers who listen to this podcast and I wondered if you had any tips to offer aspiring authors out there who are looking to get published this is probably something that people have said a billion times so it might not be that helpful and I'm also speaking I guess with a hat on as someone who works in a publishing house I would suggest that the person you need to be writing for first and foremost is yourself because like I said earlier, I think if you're not enjoying what you're doing, that's going to come through on the page and your book will die and I would suggest don't keep pushing through it. Dervla McTiernan, who is wonderful, was saying recently like she can tell when a book has died and she's learnt not to push through it and she goes Mm. back even if you're going to cull 30,000 words and finds the last bit in which it was alive and then goes back to then and sees if she can revive it. So I think that's all coming back to just writing for yourself and writing for joy because and this is going to sound very brutal, but if you would like to be a rich person, I would say writing books is not like, it, it has to be something you do because you love because there's very few people that can do it as a full-time job. I would also just say getting an agent is the best way. There are a lot of wonderful agents in Australia and if you don't know how to find one or who might be the right fit, I would suggest that you go into the acknowledgements in the books that you have and I'm hoping that you would be reading a lot because that is how you learn how to write a book. It's all in your head. You know what needs to happen in a story and you see who those authors thank when they mention their agents because that will give you a good indication as well as to what that agent is looking for. So if you were writing like a rom-com or commercial fiction, I didn't want to say women's commercial fiction then because it's horribly gendered, and you were looking in the backs of like books like that, you would see people like me thanking Margaret Connolly and you might go, ah, Margaret, she sounds like a good person. So I would go into the backs of those to find someone. It's very hard if you don't have an agent to get read by a publisher because there's so many manuscripts in the world and a lot of publishers don't get to read during work hours because they are in meetings and emails and actually physically making the books. So that is all happening outside of that. They do a huge job. Also an agent will like push them to come back with a response. And if you aren't able to get an agent, I would suggest there are yearly competitions that a lot of publishers run. HarperCollins has the Banjo Prize, which is open to all genres. That's not children's. And you could submit 
into any of those. I know most publishers have a price like that and it's good because they also have prize money and you get an advance with it and your book is treated just as it would be if it had come through via an agent and it will absolutely like those first 50 pages will get read. Same with any other thing. So make sure your first 50 pages are really excellent so that people want to keep reading on. Now that's a lot of like mashed up advice but hopefully some of it is helpful absolutely very helpful indeed so thank you very much Kimberly are you working on another book at the moment I should be (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the first time anyone's ever said that to me I I have a second book under contract and I have an idea and I have the first 10,000 words but Work has certainly kind of gotten in the way uh, (laughs) recently of me being able to use any kind of creative part of my brain for anything that's not work. And I tend to give myself a bit of a break. So I know a lot of people say just sit down every day and force yourself to write. I don't believe in that unless you're one of the authors I'm working with and I really want to read your book and then you should definitely (laughs) be doing that. But I feel... Like I can only do it when I'm in the mood to and I'm excited to. And yes, that happens at 4.30 in the morning, but I can't force myself in that way. So thankfully, I've my deadline has been slightly extended. Uh, But yes, there will be another book and it will be a rom-com. And I'm very excited about that one too. (laughs) But I'm nowhere near as far along as where I should be on it. I'm sure it'll happen in the fullness of time. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know, I really wish that that was like a good enough thing to tell my agent. (laughs) I asked about it yesterday. I was like, it's coming along. That's when my publicist spin (laughs) comes into things. I like your style. That's excellent. (laughs) I'll have to clock that one in the memory bank for later. (laughs) Kimberly, I thoroughly enjoyed reading Love and Other Puzzles. I wish you every success with it and your future writing. Thank you for joining me on Talking Aussie Books today. Thank you so much for having me. I hope I didn't talk too much nonsense. (laughs) That's a wrap, folks. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, please drop me a line via my webpage at claudinetonellis.com via Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. Alternatively, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts. Until next time, happy reading.